0: back to the go to hell podcast strong opinions weekly held about christianity faith and beer i'm your co-host tim Curley, and i'm joined by my co-host colton pierce colton
1: how are we doing we're doing great started the new year 2023 manchester united is on a he's on a tear right now uh to prepare all of our viewers um we were about a week and a half out from the Manchester Derby to to happen again. But this time, This time it's at Old Trafford, the theater of dreams, <laughs> which has become a theater of nightmares. But uh, we're hoping and we're praying that in a week's time, we're ready to take it to Manchester City. So uh, here's hoping and praying, but uh, we'll see how it goes. But felt good about the win today, so um, that's I'm, I'm in a good mood. So uh, how about you, Tim? How are you feeling?
0: Uh, good mood, good mood. New Year's is over. The new year has started, so off to the races. That's
1: right. Football's
0: winding down. A uh, big, big weekend college football. But uh, upset with TCU beating. Yeah, that was insane. I was upset. Thumping Michigan, and then Georgia somehow pulling one out. They did not deserve to win that, but they won, and <clears throat> they should be the favorites. Should they be. play like they did against Ohio State. TCU is going to give them a game, but we'll see. Um, so that was nice. And then NFL's wrapping up, going into the playoffs, and other
1: sports are right around the corner. We got baseball. Yeah, the Packers fans are coming out of the woodwork, and uh, yeah, I, I was like, oh my goodness, I thought all of you people were dead. Yeah, <laughs> like your guys' season, but apparently not. Packers are coming on strong, and
0: a lot of teams are. Limping into the playoffs and limping their way out of the playoffs, like the Dolphins, but the the Eagles are looking they are looking uh, pretty damaged. So they're having a hard time finishing up the season, Vikings. But that's just kind of the way the NFL is now these days. So um, we could we could do a whole podcast on football and what's wrong with it. No, for sure. Um, but we won't. We won't. And we got baseball. Uh, catchers and pitchers report in like uh it's usually six weeks yeah yeah, yeah. february 18th i think is around mid-february is when they report and uh first nascar races around that time at the coliseum so that's right i will be going to the national championship game this week this weekend so or this on monday but i will be down there for the weekend to uh to enjoy the festivities and be on the field and cover the game, we got a team of people we'll be there with, so should be a lot of fun. Might do a little uh, recording from the sideline for the podcast. Nice. That is fun. Get a little
1: audio. Um, so, good times. Yeah, good times. We're drinking beer tonight, like always. We're drinking uh, Belching Beavers Phantom Bride. I think we've had this one on here. We've Maybe. had this for... I. We got two old faithfuls tonight, two two of our favorites. I don't we've probably had both
0: before. It's just whatever I had in the fridge. A lot of times we go out and try to do some shopping and um uh get something
1: special for the podcast. But I had stuff in the fridge left over from the weekend and so we're drinking that. We're south coast and north coast tonight with the Belching Beaver Belching Beaver Phantom Bride, uh to start and then we'll be uh taking it up to the north coast to uh, uh, Healdsburg California for some racer five uh, from Bear Republic Brewing um, which will be tasty as well. Uh, we've actually when we do our trip up north every single year we have yet to ever stop at Bear Republic and get a beer um, though it has been something that we've talked about over and over and over again I don't know if, yeah so. we
0: never do the first year we stayed the first year we went to the Sonoma race yes. We stayed right off the freeway in Petaluma. We were right next to Hen House and we were like Raganitas. two exits away from bit
1: Racer Five from Bear Republic, and we just never made it. Right, because there's a Bear Republic, uh, like, uh, brewery location in Petaluma, where they're stationed out is Healdsburg, which is a f- bit further up the road. But even like last year when we went to, uh, we did our pilgrimage, our beer pilgrimage. We, uh, we headed up north for like a or. Our, the place that we were staying was in Windsor, and we were even closer to Healdsburg, where we could have gotten a Racer 5 on tap, but we just never made it up there. So um, hopefully this year will be a new leaf um, that will turn over for, um, for our beer tastings up north. So, And we do have –
0: we've got a I'm, – I'm trying to find it on my phone – we do have a brewery in Clovis that I've never had before, but they've followed and liked the podcast, and I am trying to coordinate getting some beer and so we can try it on the air and give them a little love. I again, I've never had it before. They are, uh, I know exactly. They're over by what's the duck the duck house they're over by duck house oh my
1: gosh duck house is amazing guys and
0: uh i they're in holiday hours i was going to be up in clovis around midday they're in holiday hours i reached out to the guy emailed him said i know you're closed but if you're in operations can i stop in i'll buy a couple six packs we'll we'll taste them on the air not all the the whole six pack but you know uh try it on the air sometimes we have a
1: three-hour podcast yeah (laughs) yeah
0: He said, "Oh, you know, we're we're actually closed. I won't be there, um, but I'm I'm efforting to try to get uh, get some some of their beer. And it from their website it looks pretty cool. So I'm That's awesome. trying to find their name.
1: I'm excited to try it.
0: Uh, oh, here it is, Machine Head Brewing Company. It's an awesome name for Clovis, a brewery. California." And uh, they got all kinds of beer. I I don't know how I have not heard of these folks. They seem like they've got an impressive operation. They got IPAs, Hazy IPAs, New England. They got Sours. Um, It looks like a pretty cool place. So shout out, even though we haven't tried your beer yet, to Machine Head Brewing Company and apparent listeners of the podcast.
1: Yeah, we love you. We'll be trying your beer soon.
0: We hope everybody else had a good holiday season, good New Year. Yeah. Have you already failed in your New Year's resolutions?
1: Mm, What were my New Year's resolutions again?
0: Uh, Reading books or something? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think I still had my New Year's resolution of reading two books a month um, because I didn't accomplish it from last year. I ended up with a whopping 19. I was disappointed because I was five books short. Um, I thought I was going to read more over Christmas break, but I just was like... Well, I've been reading more now, but when I was thinking I was going to spend more of my first week of Christmas break reading a little bit more. But uh, nope, so still on track to definitely read 24 books by the end of the year. I want to go fishing at least once a month. Um, That's the goal. I need to go out and buy my license for the year. Probably go take care of that tomorrow. It's so dumb
0: you to get a license, but whatever.
1: Oh, you could buy like a, a Lifetime one, and apparently it's actually cheaper if you buy it for children. So if you buy like for your kids growing, which doesn't make sense, right? What if I act like a child? I just don't think it makes sense. I'm like, technically, you should give it to the older people because they're not gonna live as long. But like the kids, you're like lifetime membership. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> kind of dumb. <laughs> so, inter- But either way, uh, I'll go buy my license. Um, some parts of the state you don't need a license for. If you do any like lake fishing, you need or lake or river fishing, you need to have a license you have to have a license for like I I run two poles oftentimes uh, when I go fishing so I have to buy the two pole which is just like an extra 10 bucks, 15 bucks and then deep sea fishing is like another 20 on top of that but if you go to deep sea fishing on the central or northern coast you don't need a license but if you go in the southern coast you do so that's cuz it's freaking cold in the central yeah they're like Like, if you're out here fishing go for it like they're just like nobody's gonna come after you
0: yeah
1: (laughs) you gotta have like four wetsuits on yeah (laughs) 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 well and and most people around here where we live they'll ask they'll ask you to try and save you money because people will oftentimes be like well i was gonna go cast my rod off of pismo's pier and they'll be like where are you gonna deep sea fish and they're going to be like uh pismo and they'll be like yeah you don't need one for over there yeah so um they're really good about it but i like it i bought a deep sea one last year and i was hoping to go in san diego and i didn't um but i'm hoping to this year so i'll be picking that up as well so yeah some uh deep sea fishing
0: with um the coronado island uh Coronado Brewing Company's new blonde, the Salty Crew blonde. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, some that, nice blonde. That'd be easy, tough for me, you know. Easy
1: drinking blondes on the on the boat. I was like, I also wear Salty Crew as like my uh, official brand that I rock, like, yeah, on a regular that basis. On all so. time. <laughs> as uh, often as I have Oklahoma Sooners. Here, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, that's cool that a brewery reached out. Is there anything? Um, I heard that we had a comment. So we had our, our
0: first comment. We had a, our first comment. With two items we, we got to come up with. We got hot topic. We've got cleanup on aisle five. We need a, a, a new name for this segment. We'll come up with the name, but we,
1: we do have our first comment. <laughs> this this segment's going to be called "Shit People Say." <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I I just so we're clear, I have no idea what this comment is. Uh, no, Tim, I'm hit, I'm hitting him cold. Yeah, Tim. I was just so like, this is this is from Instagram. From Hedda2887.
0: Oh, nice. And I get the sense that Hedda2887 is not are English. They a, are they a bot? This might be the person. I think we have someone in Scandinavia. This might be the Scandinavian person. So uh, I don't know. No, no, because that person actually downloads the episode. And I don't think this person does. So their question is, are you a preacher? You talk about the Ooh. Bible. And your post is about wine, beer. It not fits, I think. (laughs) So, you clearly have not listened to the podcast. Or the, yes, the photo art on Instagram illustrates the beer we consume because, yes, it is a part of the, uh, probably, it's a major part of this episode every week. We enjoy it, we start off with it. Uh, and it's the easiest way for me to come up with art. Because what am I going to do for, I think it's great. for photo art to post other than just keep posting the stupid logo. So, And I don't have time to do graphic art, so it's much easier for me to take the cans we consumed or the bottles, set them up, take a photo, because that's what I do for a living, and post that. So I guess if you'd listen to an episode, you would understand that we do talk about beer. And I hate to say... We've made it clear we're not preachers, and so we're just two beer-drinking dudes talking about Jesus.
1: Yeah, I think it's great. Uh, and I think like for anybody that listens to this or anybody that has a remote interest in this, I think it's a really, really cool thing to begin to disassociate in your brain that because I think for a long time, especially where we're at in the Bible Belt of California, there's a there's still a stigma about drinking and, and what it is that you're allowed to indulge in um, as in regards to being believers and that kind of stuff. And so um, I think for the target audience that we always wanted to reach was guys like us that are, um, yeah, we drink beer on the weekends or every day. I was like... Yesterday, I made a joke with my wife and I was like, Hey, what time is it? And she said, 11 a.m. And I said, Well, I don't feel like a degenerate if I do it at, if I crack open a beer after 11 a.m. <laughs> so here we go. Um, yeah. And so I think it's just, uh, I think it's a good thing that, and when we continue to market our stuff online and, and we post these pictures and that kind of stuff, and even like your New Year's post, you have like a picture of a cigar with a, with the beer, which is awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, you said Happy New Year and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. um, these are things that we acknowledge, just so we're clear. We have always acknowledged and we will continue to acknowledge. They're harmful to our bodies. But we, as Americans, do lots of harmful things to our bodies on a regular occasion, even those of you that abstain from drinking alcohol or smoking tobacco. Um that are actually significantly far worse than what we are putting into our bodies. And we can get—we don't need to get into that. But I'm just saying that begin to understand that there is – that the, for those of you out there that maybe feel as we do, there's nothing wrong with opening up a couple of beers and discussing a topic. And that's what we're doing. That's all we're doing. Just a couple of guys that just like on a Friday night, we – open up a beer or we order a beer at a bar and we just want to have a conversation about some of the things that are going on. And that's all that we're really trying to do. And so I think it's a great approach every single time. So yeah, we,
0: we enjoy it and we enjoy talking about different kinds of beer. We get to. Yeah. So emphasis on, and we don't, we're just, look, if you're the type who just try buys a 36 pack of something and you like drinking a few beers that are just standard, Budweiser, whatever, that's fine. That, but we're more, we are more hoity-toity. We're a little although, pretentious. We're a little more pretentious, although we do like our thirty racks of Coors. I was like, I drink, drink Coors, Coors banquets. Every, like, every, like, yeah, oh yeah. golly. Uh, but um, we like talking about it. And we the same with our whiskey, and and I'm that way with some with cigars, and so we're just you know we enjoy we enjoy those things of life. There, I think they are things that we think. God's made available. and We enjoy them. We try not to, uh, imbibe too much or abuse them, but just enjoy them. They yeah. make life
1: more enjoyable. Yeah, and so, um, so to answer the question, no, we're not preachers. We're not preachers. Uh, no, I, we never claim to be. Um, although me and uh me and Tim do have a couple of uh resolutions for the year where we want to make sure that what uh, the content that we continue to bring to you, um is continually founded in, in research that we have done, um, legitimate research um, that hopefully expands uh, your thinking as well as our own um, certain topics and that kind of stuff. And so we want that challenge to be for ourselves. Uh, we've kind of been talking about it the past couple of weeks that we've been talking about the podcast and just how we feel challenged to make sure that we're not up here just a couple of quacks just talking Um, and just saying things we will give you our perspective and that kind of stuff Um, but really kind of where we would like to see this go is just we want to make sure that we still we we keep adding things we want to be people that add things to the discussion um, not just people that are Doing honestly what we've complained about, where they think that they know all the answers, but really that they don't. Right. Um, and so I think that's a good goal that we've set for ourselves this year. And so though we won't be preachers or anything like that, we still want to be. Um, we still would like to not necessarily consider ourselves experts on the topic, but give you insight to what experts maybe believe um, on the topic that we are discussing. And I so.
0: yeah, I think what we're doing is we want to be entertaining because no one's gonna. People just don't. I don't if you're going to listen to a podcast there's got to be a level of entertainment to it. So we but I like to think both of us have a good sense of humor, so we we bring some entertainment to it, but kind of what we're doing is what you do in a really good Bible study where the person leading it's not a preacher, but they take it seriously and they're trying to facilitate a discussion and what Colton and I are having is a discussion each week and sometimes we're just talking off the top of our head and we might come back and rethink it and say, yeah, I, I misspoke there. That's not really what I meant. Or I did, yeah. I thought about it and might've been wrong there. Um, but when I led, whether it be the college group that I led or a little bit of time when I was leading the high school group or, or adult groups, it was always, I didn't see myself as someone just like teaching people. I was trying to facilitate like thinking through things. What do you, what do you think? Cause I'm probably going to learn from you. Um, Wherever you're at, because I might have had my head stuck in the Bible so long, I'm not seeing the simple interpretation of what this Bible verse is, because I've got all kinds of these hoity-toity notions that have years and years of suppositions and too many sermons and making something more complicated than it needs to be. There's all, You can always learn by just going back to simple. Yeah. Um. So uh, that's the basis of the podcast. But yeah, as Colton said, I think... As I think we want to keep doing what we've been doing, bring up topics, talk about things that are in a timely manner, uh, big topics that come up just on a regular basis within the church, but also uh, start exposing the listeners to books we've read. I mean, just literally just talk about a book to try to get, we think it's a good book that you should probably read on your own. Um, I'm sure we're going to spend some time doing some C.S. Lewis stuff since both of us think he's a profound figure for christianity in the last uh 50 hundred years 50 years so a lot more of that too just exposing people to hear some good ways
1: like if they were to republish the bible they would add mere christianity like at the end you know like it's like the it's like the the added on edition of like any of the books you know where they add like the extra chapters at the end that's how that's how it would be (laughs) It'd be the Lewis chapter, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the book of Lewis. <laughs>
0: uh, so anyway, thanks for the comment on the yeah, Instagram. thank you so much. It's our first one, yay! We're hoping for more either at uh, iTunes or on the Instagram or Twitter or wherever else. We always encourage you guys to leave leave comments or questions. So if you do, uh, we will we will read them.
1: We also have a bottle of whiskey that we got to give
0: out. And then we have a bottle of whiskey to give out, because last week at the end, uh, we were wrapping up, and we hadn't mentioned the second beer that we had consumed, and for some reason I got a little carried away with myself, and I said, Andy Flores, if you're still listening to this podcast, I'll give you a bottle of whiskey, and at 8.43 on Thursday last week, I got a text,
1: I want my whiskey. So I owe the man a whiskey. Which is funny because we still actually have another piece of whiskey, another bottle of whiskey lying around in our episodes that's. Yeah. That is actually. There's it was a, open to the public. It wasn't just like Andy Flores. Like if you're still no, listening if anything, to this. he's banned from it. Even though I don't think
0: he knows, he knows nothing of the reference. But yeah, yeah so there's an open bottle still sitting out
1: somewhere in our episodes. You'll have to go find it. Go digging for gold. Is you're gonna find uh, there's that an Easter egg that'll get you a bottle of Eagle Rare. Eagle Rare, wa- Eagle Rare is what we had decided. So, um, which uh, for anybody that uh, doesn't know whiskey, Eagle Rare is a Buffalo Trace. Um, uh, whiskey and it is delicious. It's, it's delicious.
0: 20- it used to be twenty
1: five dollars a bottle and now it's, it's not like it's now like forty five to fifty bucks now still. Right. Yeah.
0: But three years ago you could get it at Target for like twenty bucks. 20, 20 25 dollars. Yeah, exactly. So And it does not taste like a $28 bottle of whiskey.
1: Yeah, and if you have a lot of whiskey drinkers in your area, um, you'll know because you won't be able to find Eagle Rare in your area because oftentimes as soon as it's stocked, it's usually gone within a couple of hours. Yeah. I, seriously, it's it's a delicious bottle. So for anybody that is interested in your or you have piqued your interest, or maybe there's some of you that are like I can just go down to the store and buy it myself. Well, then that's good for you. I was like <laughs> it it goes fa- fairly quick around here. So, um, but it is really tasty um, from Buffalo Trace. So, which. I don't even know if Buffalo Trace actually does whiskey. I see it on their stuff, but when I went to their distillery all that they had was vodka and they were completely out of whiskey, so <laughs> you're never gonna live that No, how do you down. go to Buffalo Trace distillery and all that they have is vodka? We're what, out of what is all that of the whiskeys? No, this is not true. Oh my god. <laughs> You couldn't make that up. Ron
0: right? Swanson had been there like two hours before you'd been there and said, I want the whiskey. And yeah, he said, he said I, I, th- I think, I think you misunderstood. I, think I want
1: all of the whiskey I said, very well. all of the <laughs> eggs and bacon that you have. <laughs> very well said. <laughs> all right. We're done with our little uh, side stuff, uh, whatever we're going to call this segment. Um. Next, we're on to uh, cleanup first. No cleanup. Oh, we have no cleanup. That's awesome. No
0: cleanup. We're just straight into Hot Topics. So this is going to be an episode of Hot Topics. Nice. A variety of Hot Topics. You ever
1: been inside a Hot Topic before? It's been a very, very long time. It's, it's changed over the years. Remember when it was like a dark dungeon? Now it's like, yeah. Now it's like anime central. Which is weird, right? Because they still have like the pop punk band t-shirts like on the wall in the back. like Or even the grunge and the punk rock. All those t-shirts are still on the wall in the back and you can still buy them. They still have like a list where you can say like, hey, what band t-shirt would you like to buy? And you can like write down what oh, band really? t-shirts. Yeah, that was always a thing at Hot Topics that you can go back and say, hey, we'll get this one in our store if you want it. If you want a band t-shirt or like a particular tour or something like Crowded that. Crowded we'll, like." try yeah Uh we'll try and go find it so uh that's always fun Toto. but but now it's it's literally just a bunch of like anime stuff all over the place it's really interesting it's weird or disney even like talking heads but like the dark side of disney like ursula or like nightmare before christmas kind of stuff it's still dark (laughs) but it's it's just weird it's interesting I mean, I, for anybody that shops at Hot Topic that listens to us, I'm just saying it's a little different. Okay, if you just joined us, we're talking about who is the best Lord? Lord of the Rings, <laughs> of the Dance, or of the Flies? That's tonight's Hot Topic. Hot Topic. Anyways, okay, Hot Topic. Hot topic. Sorry, didn't mean hot to go on a Tangent. Hot Topic number one.
0: Pope Emeritus Benedict Sixteenth, I think, died a couple of days ago. Yeah. Um, interesting guy. First Pope in 600 years to resign, abdicate, whatever word they used to, but basically step down as the Pope. Every Pope since then died in office because that's really what was expected. Um, I don't, and I don't know before then how many did the same thing. Yeah. And I don't know how many have, but it's, it's probably a rare thing though, but, uh, Everything I read, he continued. Okay, so we're neither one of us are Catholic. No. Um, neither one of us has been raised Catholic. Neither, neither one of us are raised Catholic. Um, and full disclosure, I am not a fan of the Catholic Church system. I'm not a fan of the Pope. I just find that whole. The whole idea of it, not what Jesus right. He int- doesn't like the figurehead. Jesus that's... intended, but if you're Catholic, you're not going to hell, and I don't think you like think bad things that are. It's just look, we Protestants have our icky, dumb ideas too. So I'm certainly not like a lot of American Protestants that we think you're like apostates who are going to hell because of a variety of things. But it's just there's yeah. just don't.
1: I think that just like with that is just something that's a little bit different from Protestants to. Now, you may not, like, there are obvious situations where that's not the case, where, again, we talked about it, I think we talked about it last week, where, and we talked about it a couple times, where we encourage you not to put your pastor on this pedestal of this, you know, like, this is the authority to which I receive my life. Um, uh, And there's not, like, a hierarchy um, that should exist between the church, you and God, right? right? Um, and so that's, or the or the people in the church, you know, the uh, the officials, so to speak, between you and God. And so that's where there's a real bad taste in Protestant's mouths is, you know, you had that situation um, for for centuries where the Catholic Church or the church at the time, um, because we don't even need to say Catholic, just the church in general, Christianity, which had existed. I mean, you had the Orthodox um, that were just doing their own thing, but for a Westernized church for a long time, it was um, the Pope's word was divine. Yeah. Um, and so it it just leaves a bitter taste in a lot of Protestants' mouths, and so a lot of them don't have a lot of respect for the Pope, which is a very interesting thing because – we acknowledge that a lot of that stuff is political. We can't not acknowledge that there's this whole voting process that happens between the cardinals and all this kind of stuff. Oh, the like, yeah. The the Vatican ob- is a political... Obviously very political, but also something that needs to be n- noted is that the popes do a lot of good. They do a lot of good work, and they go around and they do a lot of... They, they work with people. Um, they try to be... <laughs> They try to be removed from politics, although some of them are more – get more involved with political politics than yeah. others and that kind of stuff. Um, and so it's a huge, hefty burden to sit there and say that you are the head of the church um, and not only like the whole church, right? Like this is – they haven't and, – and with the way that the Catholic system is set up is – is you are the head of the church. Your commands go down the, true the lines. Church. Yeah, the church. And so it comes down the line to the other churches and all that kind of stuff. And so um in Protestantism, that just doesn't exist. It's not like John Piper decides what happens for the rest of the Protestants right. Um and that kind of stuff. And so um, there's a lot of unity in the Catholic Church through that, which is really awesome. But at the same time, there's – again, you are appealing to another person and just, and especially as Protestant Americans, that's something that's really difficult for us to do. Um, so that's just something that we acknowledge before we get into this on the Pope. Um, but also understanding that the Popes are, generally speaking, in our day and age, they're actually really, really good people. Yeah, um, we're not dealing with a lot of the Popes from the Middle Ages and uh, no. Dark Ages. No, are, they
0: are. That uh, were more, literally were more uh political figures and they were religious
1: and i don't want to like say like it's hot it's a hot topic in and of itself to talk about the catholic church and the and the situation that we all know that we're talking about um when i say <clears throat> the situation right and how they handled it and what did the pope do and blah, blah 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 and so yes you can sit there and say that about the popes and you can say well they didn't do anything about this and they didn't do anything about that and it's like okay but what I'm acknowledging is what they themselves are doing and what they've done for humanity and what they try to do uh, moving forward is what they think at the time is best for the world. and so um, so there's there's a lot of love that you can give them. so I don't know where where are you going with this, Tim? Well, before we exit out of there, let me
0: acknowledge that the particularly the more uppity parts of the Protestant church, the more fundamentalist parts that do, claim that the the catholic church is an apostate church my problem with that part of the protestantism side of of the aisle is it doesn't see the speck in its the log in its eye as it yeah, because we have so if you're if the fundamentalist side of protestantism doesn't accept that catholicism is Christianity at all flat out. And their reasoning is there's several reasons, but the primary reason the, is that it's a work works based religion. And that is contra t- to anything Jesus wanted. And they basically, you know, they'll quote James and other verses that say is no works will save you period. Um, and my problem with that is that's true. That's that's that statement is true. But Protestants go around not seeing the log in their eye where they have where Catholics do have these things where, you know, we do these works which they would say show repentance. It's not the works themselves, it's just we're gonna do these acts of repentance, um, to show that we've repented. And I don't agree I don't think you need to do those things, but that's right. Protestants have their own system. They're just called, it's moralism that they've included as acts of works, works that show that you're not actually a Christian. Yeah. So I don't think Protestantism in the 20th century, now the 21st century, has done much better in not setting up a system where faith is based on works. So that's my big problem. Yeah. Um. So... Catholics, you're not alone. We got our problems. All that said, I want to take a minute. The Pope wrote down his statement of faith. This is actually a cool thing. This would be cool if Christians did this. Like It's yeah. not only like a will and testament, like here's my statement of faith. Like Here are the things yeah. I want everyone, in, but particularly my family, my fellow believers, to know this is the way I'm going out. So he wrote this thing because sometime in the last, I don't know, it's probably in the article here, but... Sometime in the last week or so when he knew he was not long for the earth. I won't read the whole thing. Towards the end, he writes this. What I said before to my countrymen, which I think was uh, Germany because he was from German, from He was Germans because I think he was from Germany. I now say to those in the church who have been entrusted to my service, stand firm in the faith. Do not let ourselves be confused. It often seems that science... The natural sciences on one hand and historical research, especially exegesis of sacred scripture on the other, are able to offer irrefutable results at odds with the Catholic faith. I have experienced the transformations of natural sciences since long ago and have been able to see how, on the contrary, apparent certainties against the faith have vanished, proving not to be science, but philosophical interpretations of, only apparently pertaining to science. Just as, on the other hand, it is in dialogue with natural sciences that faith too has learned to understand better the limit of the scope of its claims and thus its specificity. It is now 60 years that I've been accompanying the journey of theology, particularly of the biblical sciences, and with the succession of different generations, I have seen theses that seem unshakable That seemed unshakable collapse, proving to be mere hypotheses. The liberal generation, the existentialist generation, and the Marxist generation. I I saw and see how out of the tangle of assumptions, the reasonableness of faith emerged and emerges again. Jesus Christ is the true way, the truth, and the life. And the church, with all its insufficiency, is truly his body. I think it's a great statement. I think it's He awesome. starts off by saying, don't put too much, don't worry about science. There are things science is going to say that is going to be proven not to be the case because science is always changing. And let science inform the faith when it is inscrutable and we need to change what we think the Bible tells us about science. And then he goes on and talks about all these trends that they've had in the Catholic Church that he's dealt with and don't get, don't get fooled by them. And we've tried to go out of our way on this podcast and say, you know, we might say things that you don't agree with and might seem like they're hip, and we're trying to be trendy in order to make Christianity more accessible. That's not our goal. We're trying to be what we think is always been the true faith, the the simplest form of the faith, and that's what he wraps it up
1: with. I think what I like from what he said is, um, yeah, I think there's the stuff about the science and that kind of stuff, and we've talked about that. Um, And I feel like we'll probably unpack it at a later date. Um, I mean, we've been doing this podcast now for like six months. Yeah. Um, We've only been posting for like three, two, three months. But um, when we look at what he said, my favorite thing that he said um, is – even with all of its insufficiencies, oh yeah, it is still the body of Christ. Um, I think that that's just so huge. I think that's an awesome statement to say is that we're gonna have to we're gonna have to acknowledge that there's blood in the water like or and that we and that we got a lot of problems. you know, there's a lot of stuff that we are that we are responsible for and that there's a lot of messed up shit that happens. We have to sit there and we have to be better. We need to learn from our mistakes and continue to be better and acknowledge that all of us that are a part of the body of Christ are sinners and that we make mistakes, and that we fall short of the glory of God, and that we have to deal with all of this mess. If you think about the body of Christ in the same way that you view your family, I don't think that anybody thinks that their family is perfect, especially when we just got done with the holidays. I'm sure a lot of you are have fresh reminders in your brain about how your family is not perfect. So what I would request in the same way that he did is that you, you look at, All of this family that you have decided to be a part of this body of believers and recognize that, hey, we're not perfect. We all don't know all the answers. And so we're trying to get there. And but it's still the thing that we need to put our faith in um, because we are still the body and we cannot function without you being an active participant and putting your faith in even the broken system. Um, that we have. So I thought that that was really powerful um, and a good reminder uh, for myself and hopefully for others too. So that's my two bits on it.
0: All right. Well, I think that's enough. Uh, rest in peace. Please. Pope uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict, uh, I think his previous title was Cardinal Ratzenberg. Um, and apparently from all accounts, he might be... He's easily the today's biggest theologian. Like, he's had a huge, profound theological impact in the Catholic Church um, during his time, not just as Pope, but. And apparently, he's continued to write and been impactful since he's been Pope. Yeah. Um, but I've read several things from some people say he might be the most in, impactful Pope ever when it comes to theology. So. That seemed to have been his, uh, the thing he really enjoyed, which is probably maybe why he didn't want to keep being Pope because the Pope's, that papal position's a lot more other things than being able to sit down and read and write and focus on your theological studies. Yeah. Um, all right, hot topic number two. Why didn't Jesus write anything down? <laughs> so this idea came, it's this isn't a new question people have been asking this for a long time, but I I thought of it as a topic for the show because it came up on uh, Greg Boyd's podcast. Uh, Colton, why don't you tell us a little bit about Greg Boyd?
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, Greg Boyd, um I think I've brought him up a couple of times. Um I love the guy. Um, we don't know each other, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So um, he's a he's a pastor, um, and he's in Saint Paul, Minnesota. Yeah, there we go. I got it. And he is uh, he, go, he his church is Woodland Hills Church. It's an Anabaptist church. They're extremely progressive. I wouldn't recommend, if you were on the fence, if you've been conservative in the conservative church for a long time, I mean, I would always recommend him to a lot. I Like, there's nothing, in it, well, it'd be very difficult for a lot of people to listen to what he had to say if you come from a very conservative background where you're not and your and even if you were trying to push the boundaries, I would say that there's still going to be a lot of stuff that he says that is going to be a little bit more difficult. Um, and a lot, maybe the challenges that he may be giving are a little too difficult. Um, one of his most famous books and it gets recommended all the time is Letters from a Skeptic. Um, I'd highly recommend taking a look at that book. Uh, it's it's talking about his relationship with his father. Um and his father who was a non believer and that kind of stuff. Um, Forrest has recommended it at our church a couple of times. That book's phenomenal.
0: Uh, the other book that's phenomenal is when he wrote, I think, in two thousand four, where he talks about how politics is destroying the church. Yeah, that's a good and one. And he was early on in that. And yes. I think and yeah. He's he was spot on in that book and not enough people, even today, are following that. We have we have allowed American politics to sully the reputation of the church on both sides. This isn't a, like a, a right-wing thing either. I'm sorry, if folks on the, on the left, you go invoking the Bible when it's your, when it suits your purpose too, and it's just, it's gross. It's not, American politics does not, is not worthy of invoking the Bible when, when we go around doing it, and so we've just we could have spent a whole episode on that when we started this podcast. Is why people are leaving the church, and part of that's because the church has allowed itself to be a proxy for politics for far too long, and that's, again, that's a it's a great book by him.
1: Yeah, and there's and there's a couple of others that I would recommend uh, to people. Um... If you would like to reach out to us and that kind of stuff. And as we go through topics, there may be times where I fill in. I'll be like, hey, there's a really good Greg Boyd book on this. Or, and I'll say there's a couple of others. But um, And so just if you're interested in him, be on the lookout for that. Uh, I think that what Tim said is really good about him. He was always one of those front runners that was talking about removing himself from the po- the political situation in the United States, which is technically for anybody that's Anabaptist, that's really what you're actually supposed to be a part of, is this idea that one, you should be fairly minimalist. Uh, these are just kind of those things that are associated with different parts of the faith. And so with with Anabaptists, you you're a, you should be more minimalist. Mm-hmm. You should be not anti-government, but just you are pro you are you're but kind of like you remove yourself from government uh, stuff you you go do your own thing and then you uh you know you give to caesar what is caesar you but right. you give to god what is gods and so what you should be investing your time in and all that kind of stuff is is what god needs from you and it's not investing all this time caring about political issues and that kind of stuff yeah um and then uh and so those are, and then also pacifism is often a huge and a uh, aspect aspect of it, and he's a pacifist. And so he really takes on that whole Anabaptist role really well. One of the key things to note is that he is an open theist, which got him into kind of the quack box, so to speak, um, where a lot of people he received a lot of criticism um, because he was kind of one of the front runners that was openly open theist. Those of you unfamiliar with the term open theism, it simply means that God has divine authority over the world, but yet he chooses in his love and in his grace to not have a plan set in place. And so his plans can technically change based off of our decisions. So that's very difficult and very challenging for a lot of people. There's a lot of people that have been taught that God's divine plan is everything that happens in the universe. You have to deal with prophets and predictions of the future and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so that's very difficult for even some though we
0: haven't people. had a prophet for two thousand years. So. Right, but
1: and then you know, <laughs> what does the prophecy mean? Does it actually come to fruition when you look at the Book of Daniel? When you look at the the prophet? isaiah and what they're predicting and this kind of stuff there's a lot that goes into it especially when also people look at the book of revelation and they're saying that this is happening in the future and that kind of stuff um obviously there's a plan that people are saying is in place but people but uh open theism is saying that uh that god's plans change based upon our actions because he wants us to experience true free will Again, very difficult for people. He received a lot of criticism from it. Um, I personally align myself with that, with that, uh, with that way of thinking. But that doesn't mean that everybody else does. So I think that there is that that's how God responds to us. I think that there's evidence of it in the scriptures. I know that people say there's evidence of this in the scriptures or that in the scriptures. The predestination, the, all that kind of stuff. So. So I like Greg Boyd, and I don't think that he's a quack. Um, that's basically what I'm saying. Okay, that. so we're
0: getting off topic, which we usually do, but I think that's what makes these discussions interesting. So I have a question while we're on this topic, and then we'll get back to why didn't Jesus write down anything? <laughs> yeah. Is the, is the is this are these macro plans that God has, or or micro plans? Are, are these is this? God's plan for the world changes, or God's plan for you for you
1: changes. So the suggestion would be that on a macro level, it would God would still be willing to change His plans based off of the decisions that we make. So, like for example, I'll give you an example from Scripture, and I think I've given it before. When you have the situation with uh, Israel not having a king, correct? Yeah, he he yeah go ahead yeah yeah so uh, he eventually succumbs to the peer pressure of the israelites and not that god like god like got bullied into whatever it is that he chose but he said if you want god them, starts the
0: god starts the nation of israel tells them you're not getting a king because everybody else had a king you're not having a king each one of you is going to be ruled by a judge right and that judge is, doesn't
1: have king power and so like and – there's, and there's different situations that happen where continuously people continue to mess up and I'm censoring myself there because I haven't had enough beer at that point to care. <laughs> but I'm saying that people continue to mess up, right? Like, So like the situation with Bathsheba, we talked about it, uh, what, three weeks ago when we talked about the – that – so if you were saying that this was a part of God's divine macro plan, then you're saying that God wanted David to cheat on his wife. Or to cheat or to kill off this man and and have her cheat on her husband. That's what you would say, because Jesus comes through the line of Bathsheba. As Correct. according to the and so you see that God continually uses in the scriptures the bad things that happen that we mess up on. He continues to sit there and say, No, I can still use this for good. That wasn't a part of the plan. Anytime that there is sin that is committed, that's not a part of the plan. You have fallen short of the glory of God. That is what it says. You have done that, but yet God can still use that for his glorification. And so that's where you can sit there. That's where I don't think, like predestination, like I'm, it it just. It doesn't seem like a very complicated uh, theory here. Right, when you put it that way, but then again, like I said, when you have to deal with the situations of the prophecies, when you have to deal with the situations of apocalyptic literature that people believe is happening right now and that kind of stuff you have. Can you have a dual, can it be a
0: dual thing? Because this is one of the things I always get frustrated with, not just within Christianity, but also within just modern thought of everything is binary and we can't be allowed to think of two things that we think are contradictory, aren't both things are, can happen at the same time. So God might have a very specific macro plan, like Jesus' return, it's going to roughly look like this. But everything else is just kind of...
1: The best visual example that I can give anybody, if you wanted to see like a very tangible example of what open theism is, and it's actually kind of, it's, an, it's a bad guy scene, actually, um, is if you were to watch The Matrix Reloaded, and when he goes and sees the guy that's like, what, the, I don't remember. What,
0: the, <laughs> the Basically, like, there's supposed to be the computer, the old guy.
1: Yeah, he's supposed to be Sigmund like, Freud. He's yeah, like, his like... whole character is based off of Sigmund Freud. And so when he walks in there and he says, the only thing that you could have changed was your initial reaction. And then after that, I'm able to, and there's the trillions of TVs right. that are on. And you can see Neo's response gets narrowed in through one of those televisions. That is basically. I thought you're
0: going to say Matthew McConaughey when he's going through the the different dimensions and. No, 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 no. no. no
1: that's a, that one. That's string theory. No, we got it. no. We got this. This idea of uh, there is an infinite amount of possibilities of what your reaction and what your possibilities can be, and God knows all of them. And so let's say that he has a. This is just a very broad concept to grasp. It's just such a hard one. This is, but it's not though, because
0: look, look, we have trite things we say as Christians. God bless us. We're sweet people, but you know, there's there's stupid things we say. Like, well, I think they're stupid. Like, how am I supposed to know if I marry the right person? You didn't.
1: No, no, you did No, exactly.
0: So what if you did not... There's no right person. Un, un, under that... Look, it's a, I say it's a sweet thing because you're trying... It's, if, it's a sweet thing if what you're trying to say clumsily and in some sort of a holy way saying, I want to make sure I, I marry the right person. That's fine. But if you're sitting there really trying to believe that God's got one person picked out for you, what happens if you're supposed to marry Susie and you pick... Uh, Mary Jane under that theory you have now not only ruined your plan but hers as well no you've married now it's a it's a ripple effect right because now someone else has not married the person they're supposed to because they are supposed to marry this one and the, the, now all of a sudden we've got I don't know, an infinite number of people who married the wrong person because you somehow didn't marry the right person that was who God wanted you to marry.
1: Right, which isn't like that. Yeah, and so like... thats Is that different than what you're talking about? No, I think that that falls in the area of, again, there's this idea that God has this uh, this set plan for your life, but really it's actually you are in the driver's seat. You is to has, the wrong
0: college. God has Should given gone to Notre Dame.
1: God has given you the ability to choose every single time. And so, if things are going right in your life, it's it is it's not like you are more in tune with God if that makes sense. Just like if things are going bad in your life, are you less in tune with God and what he wanted for you? Like, you know, like God wrote this like this pathway for you. And you're differing right. off of the path and that's what's happening and that kind of stuff. is God is still meeting you as soon as you make a ch- – like let's say that he had this path and you change things. And now there's no way for you to get back on the path. And he's like, okay, then I'm going to meet you where you are. I'm going to continue to meet you where you are and we're going to continue to show you. And you, you might that. have made things more
0: difficult for yourself. And you
1: continue to make things more and more difficult for yourself. If you like, only I, do
0: what – You should do, but that, again, that's not maybe this literal thing that like, oh, if you hadn't married, if you'd married Mary Jane instead of who, then it would have been, no, but it's just, we make decisions that, and God continues to adjust and meet us where we're at.
1: Right. I'm not sitting there and saying that we are gods. That's not, that's something that needs to be said is, but you do have free will to be able to make your own decisions. And so you choose whether that person is the right person for you. You choose if that person is a healthy relationship or not. So, what's controversial about this with what's gotten him into trouble? That's a controversial topic. Wow. That seems crazy. That seems crazy, right? Like, it's like, how is this controversial? And as we progress through the years and as Christianity continues to progress, it becomes less and less progressive. But that's still a hot topic that people don't. Again, even if you said like predest, even if you sat there and said predestination doesn't exist, to still make that claim is still controversial. To say that you're an open theist, with a lot of people, so um, just something to consider when we're talking about Greg Boyd. These are some of the controversial topics, and you may be checked out from that. But this is something that we just want you to know before we get into it. So
0: it's a good. Bit- Look, it's good to bring up some like stuff like this because part of the show is our challenge is to read people that you don't like or make you uncomfortable. And you might not agree with them after you've read it, but I think it'll just make you even better, stronger in your faith to go, okay, there's a different perspective. Okay. So again, this isn't... People have been asking this question for a very long time and I can prove it because I'm going to read first from Thomas Aquinas, who dealt with this issue in his Summa Theologica. Uh, Let's see how I'm going to tackle this. Mm, Do I read the whole thing? Okay, I'll just read from... Objection 1. It would seem that Christ should have committed his doctrine to writing, for the purpose of writing is to hand down doctrine to posterity. Now Christ's doctrine was destined to endure forever, according to Luke 21:33, "Heaven and earth, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away." Therefore, it seems that Christ should have committed his doctrine to writing. His reply to that objection is, as Augustine says in the same book, I don't know what book. He mentions a book earlier. Uh, Christ is the head of all his disciples who are members of his body. Consequently, when they put into writing what he showed forth and said to them, by no means must we say that he wrote nothing since his members put forth that which he knew under his dictation. For at his command, they being his hands, as it were, wrote whatever he wished us to read concerning his deeds and words. So his answer is he's quoting Augustine, and Augustine's basically saying they wrote it. He did write it down. He used the disciples to write it down.
1: Are you waiting for me? I'm sorry. I'm trying to look something up. Hold on.
0: Maybe you're bored and just looking at Twitter.
1: No, no, no. I'm looking. All right. Well, so that's number
0: one. I'll keep reading. Further objection number two. So he, these objections are objections he's noting that come up from people. It's not his objections, and then he's giving responses to them. Objection two. Further, the old law was for the foreshadowing of Christ, according to Hebrews ten one. Quote the law was a shadow of the good things to come," unquote. now the old law was put into writing by God according to Exodus 24:12, "I will give to thee two tables of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written." Therefore it seems that Christ also should have put his doctrine into writing. Aquinas's response to that is since the old law was given under the form of sensible signs, therefore it also it was a fitting It was fittingly written with sensible signs. But Christ's doctrine, which is, quote, the law of the spirit of life from Romans 8, 2, had to be, quote, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshy tables of the heart, unquote, as the apostle says in 2 Corinthians 3, 3. Objection 3. Further to Christ, who came to enlighten them and sit in darkness. That's Luke 1:79. It belonged to remove occasions of error and to open out the road to faith. Now he would have done this by putting his teaching into writing, for Augustine says in De Consensu Evange that some there are who that some there are who wonder why our Lord wrote nothing so that we have to believe that others have written about him. Especially do those pagans ask this question who dare not blame or blaspheme Christ and and who ascribe to him most excellent, but merely human wisdom. These say that the disciples made out the master to be more than he really was when they said he was the Son of God and the Word of God by all by whom all things were made. And further on, he adds, it seems as though they were prepared to believe whatever he might have written of himself, but not what others at their discretion published about him. Therefore, it seems that Christ should have himself committed his doctrine to writing. And his objection is, those who are unwilling to believe that the apostles wrote Christ would have refused to believe the the writings of Christ, whom they deemed to work miracles by the magic art. So that third one He's basically pointing out that the pagans at the time of uh, Ag- Augustine are all saying, yeah, he's oh, this is great stuff. The stuff he says is wonderful. It's amazing. It's just when he gets into the whole I'm the son of God stuff and then he turns into a crazy guy and the miracles are just because he's a magician or a witch. So, and if he'd written down his own... Th- his own writings and not only said do unto others as you would have done unto you and written down instead of spoken the uh, sermon on the mount and then gone on and tell fantastical tales of how he had raised people from the dead they would have said yeah he's a wizard and we don't like that so those are three objections and answers to, by uh, augustine And then we'll get it. So now, what do you have to say, Colton?
1: Sorry, I'm not ready yet. I thought I was. I'm sorry. My bad. I was like, oh, okay. Um, uh, It's fine. No, I got it. I I cold cocked you with this uh, topic, too. No, you're fine. The the issue was more with the verse. I didn't have any. I mean, it wasn't like there was a huge issue with uh, the verse. It was just there's. Which verse? The verse that he uses where he says, you know, heaven and earth shall pass away, um, but my words will not pass away. Um, So, because I wanted the Greek. I wanted the Greek on the word. What is word? Um, So the hard part about when you're translating Greek, um, and for a lot of people out there, is you're, you're dealing with context is huge, understanding placement, and really just... Understanding how they would have said things and how it would have been. It, it's its a very frustrating thing to learn and to work with. So, for example, we're, we're, what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with the, with the word word. And so if people got hung up on this and said that, you know, why didn't Jesus write his own words um, when his words will not pass away? What they're actually saying is what he was actually saying is according to. Um, this Greek form, and based off of the context, is they would say that his ideas would not pass away. Right? It's the what I am teaching you, this stuff will last forever. This idea of what it is that I'm asking of you and from you will last forever. Um, this is something that it will continue to be carried out even after I'm gone um, and even after the world is gone because this is the. Um, this is the message that God has um, wanted for His people. I mean, it's kind of interesting that you have when Earth and then also the heavens pass away, kind of uh, interesting. Uh, but again, he's using this hyperbole, um, which Jesus is known for doing. And so, yeah, I kind of what's important here is also to understand the world around this time. Um, yes, I, I agree with what was said on the third point where, you know, um, Jesus would have kind of been viewed as a quack um, as soon as he said that You know, Jesus was doing, uh, as soon as he said he's the son of God, people have been like, okay, he's this magician that's doing this stuff, which would have, you know. and, And just like in any point, when we, if we sit here and we try to say that somebody today said that they were the son of God and they came up and they said that and they did, you know, the song and dance and they wrote their own stuff, you would literally think that they were a nut job. You would. And I think we've had that conversation before where it's like somebody would have came out of the woodworks and said this kind of stuff. We would all think that they were crazy. And that's what they're saying as part of this third argument. Based off of other arguments though, so something that's important to note is uh, how many people were writing during this time. Um, again – even though all of these students had, or all of these people and not all of them had gone to schooling or had to memorize different parts of the scriptures and that kind of stuff or the Hebrew Bible, um, that's not – they're all not well-versed in writing. So just because you know and every single person in the United States has to go through an education of some sort, know how to write paragraphs and stuff, understand this is something that was not common back then. It's really not. Uh, For people to write this was something that maybe one out of like 200 people would know how to do or they probably knew how to do it, but somebody that would actually do it Uh, For example a lot of people around here um, get on uh, How many people actually write out of all of us based off of the things that we see how many of us journal that kind of stuff Uh, there's a there's a lot of us that do, but there are even more, an immense amount more, that don't document things and write things down. And we've been taught how to do it. So, like, for example, when we're looking at the uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a lot of people attribute it to the apostles that wrote those books, right? You have uh, John, or maybe you have this uh, – um, or, you know, there's the story about Mark and this young kid. You have Matthew. You have – uh, Luke, um, who also wrote Acts. Again, these are scribes. These are people that have written these things 70 years after, right, with Matthew and, and Luke, which were written around the same time as far as our oldest manuscripts go. You're looking around 70 years after the death of Christ. These are not the apostles that wrote this down. The book of John, it, it, it is attributed that John did not write these down. Right. The person that you can say wrote things down that we are like almost pretty positive, um, the, the, closest, the closest that we are to being positive that this person wrote this down, and even then there's speculation on whether or not he wrote it down or maybe Timothy wrote it down, um, is Paul. Correct. Those letters are the most gen- – those are the things – That were written and
0: paul didn't write some because he was
1: blind at that point in timothy there yeah so there's speculation on how many did paul write so there's dictated to timothy right and so there's there's speculation there's there's something from paul yeah their writing style changes but the oldest manuscripts are still found around that same time right and so you're looking at you have about you have these letters from paul and so if you really want to get down to the nitty-gritty of your like i only trust things that are written from the source Then the thing that we can one hundred percent not one hundred percent say, but with a huge amount of authority, say is that Paul's writings are the closest that you can get to that. And so understanding that that one guy out of all of the people, because when we think and we sit there and we talk about the twelve, remember, God, Jesus had so much more people following him than just the twelve disciples. It wasn't just like 12 guys. Remember that like 5,000? Those people were following him from town to town. There's a reason why there was a huge parade for him when he entered Jerusalem, right? Like this, (laughs) right? Who, uh, there's... Well, and just real
0: quick, we talk about the 12, but there's a verse where there's actually set, there's another, what, 72 appointed disciples? There's just the, there's an inner circle of disciples, right? There's an inner circle for sure, but there are other ones like there's a Judas, a Thaddeus, or something. I mean, there are other ones that we know of. I think you are talking about uh,
1: when in Acts when they try to uh, they try to. Add no, there's them, the verse out. where Jesus
0: Jesus sends out. I think seventy where he says, "I'm sending you out." He doesn't just send twelve out. He, I think he sends seventy two out and says, "You all go out," and that's the two by two, right. And if you're welcomed, then, you know, do that. And if you're not, dust the shoes off your feet and get the hell out of there and all that. It, it's We know the 12. The reason why we know the 12 is think for a reason. But there are there's a enclave on an enclave, and we don't even talk about the group of women. Right. We should talk about one of the episodes where uh, one of the Marys, not his mom, and I don't think Mary Magdalene, but one of the Marys... Funds the operation, and she's like married to Herod or something. I don't know what you're talking about. Off the top well, of my head, I, I will, I will investigate further. But I'm 99% sure of that before I go on. But anyway, yes,
1: yeah. So I mean, understanding that there are all these people around, and we only have four accounts. We have four
0: um, accounts, but the sideshow was, it was a big sideshow, well into his ministry. Yeah, so. A lot of people were there that are never mentioned that were watching it.
1: Right. And think about all of the events that happened throughout Roman, Greek, ancient history just in general and how many people were actually writing it down. And the answer is not a lot. And usually those that are doing the works are not the people that ever write it down. Correct. Never, ever, like, ever. Those are not the people that write it down. Even if you like see something and like Caesar Augustus is quoted that Caesar Augustus didn't write it. No. Some scribe wrote it for him. Like that's so like it just is bizarre that like I don't even know how this could be an argument where you sit there and say, why didn't Jesus write it himself? And I think that if you continue to question that further, you would be like, would I would that make it more real for you? If Jesus wrote it down, like I know that we get like our forefathers um, like uh, in the United States where we're like the founding fathers or whatever. They wrote all this stuff down. They had their journals and all this kind of stuff. And that was their life in the 16th, 17th, 18th century where they became educated and they were able to write this stuff down, which is really cool um, and neat to say. But that isn't how the ancient world worked. Um, there wasn't a lot of stuff that went in into that. So it's just I, it's just bizarre. And then also understanding that, hey, there was also um, there's potential for a lot of loss of information. So, yeah, the, that's 100 percent true. Um, we don't have Jesus's direct words. We don't have that kind of stuff. And especially when we talk about the speculation between what Jesus's direct words were. But even then, if Jesus were to write things down. He would write it in Greek, which already would have been a loss in translation. The Greek that they used back then and ask a lot of... You can find out there's a lot of words that could be used this way and they could be used that way. The word that they used for a word in this particular sense was logos. Logos could be used in so many different ways. So it's just... Again, understanding the context, trying to take things from it, th- there is—it's it, it, very, very difficult. So even if Jesus were to write down his words, does it mean that you would believe it that much more? I don't think anybody would. Okay. Let's circle back.
0: I'm gonna—we're gonna wrap up with because I want to go back to something Aquinas said that's sure interesting. But let's continue on this. If for anybody who's listening to this. Who's not really? They don't. They don't know about Jesus. Let's deal with this first, because it's a fair question if you don't know much about Jesus, or if or you're new to the Jesus thing, or you, whatever. Just off the top of head, you're not sure. It's a fair question. Could Jesus read and write? And the answer to that is, it's fair to say yes, he could do both.
1: Yeah, you would make the argument yes
0: because uh in Luke 4:16:21 um in Luke yeah Luke 4:16:21 he he reads from the book of Isaiah in front of a group of people so he can certainly read certainly read and he probably could write um I, and then that... the writing thing the writing thing is a little ambiguous a little not so sure but it comes back to your favorite verse of the Bible Your favorite sermon on Sunday? What did Jesus write in the dirt? (laughs) Yeah, So It it is fair to say. And look, let's not be cheap about this and say, "Well, of course he can. He's the Son of God." No, I I don't. I don't.
1: One. No, that doesn't explain anything because all Jesus wrote in the dirt was a dick. (laughs) I don't think. Look.
0: Jesus certainly could and did perform miracles, but I think J- Jesus, as, as a person, was trying to experience being a human as much as possible, so I don't, I, could he have come out of the Mary's womb being able to read and write? Sure, it's possible. I think it's more likely that he got taught how to read and write, and that added to his, I don't know, maybe not, but it, it doesn't matter. Who knows? He he could read and write. It is likely from what we read in the scriptures that he could read and write.
1: Yeah, there's even speculation. I believe there's even a book written um, that is, did Jesus speak Greek? And so there's speculation that he might have even with the Hellenistic influence and all that kind of stuff is that he probably knew how to write and speak in Greek. Um. Instead of just
0: Aramaic. Uh, just as a side note, there are some other books. There's, no, they're not books. There are, there are old manuscripts that we have where we're not sure of the authenticity authenticity of them. A uh, one is, oh shoot, it's the legend of the King Agrappos or something. I should have had this in my notes. Uh, anyway. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a telling of Jesus gets a notification. Jesus gets a notice from a king. Uh, The king is mentioned. The king is from an area, which I think today is modern Iran, where the king wants Jesus to show up and perform some miracles and be his guest. And Jesus basically uh tells the guy um or tells tells that guy's courier or his own courier to tell the guy i'm not done with my ministry here i'll show up did jesus greek speak greek interesting who's that written by uh by g scott gleves um well if he came out of the womb and can read and write in hebrew and uh or Aramaic. I assume he could probably speak Hellenistic Greek. Um. Anyway. Well, okay. You know what? There's one little verse. John ends his gospel. Oh, jeez. We're bringing up the book of John again. Was it?
1: Colton's least favorite. You brought up two books of John. No, 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 no. I think that it gets used a little the, the words of Jesus get used from the book of John a lot and those are always the like what pastors use as the divine authority of Jesus um, is from the book of John No 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 this
0: but this I think this is an important
1: Sure very poetic it's stipulating that whoever wrote John it's very poetic it's almost like it's a greek drama or something
0: so Here's how we, this is how the gospel of John ends uh, we're in chapter. Was this twenty
1: one? Yeah, twenty one. Yeah, here we go. The dramatic ending. All right, let's go.
0: Here we go. See, you're going to shit on it. Yeah. <laughs> this is the uh, this verse twenty four. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that this uh, is his true that the, his true testimony is true. Verse twenty five. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would have not had room for the books that would be written.
1: Golly. Almost sounds like you should, like, do a curtain call and everybody should come out and do a bow on a stage or something. <laughs> right? Like, the... never mind. We're not going to get into that. Like, I'm not going to get into the speculative outlandish okay. theory out here. Can it be both dramatic and true? <laughs> No, I'm saying that it's completely fine. No, I just, I'm just more like, wow, that's poetic. It's, it's oh, like, it's certainly everybody's it, like, man, look, here, here, here. Let's raise our glasses. Shakespeare's
0: writing, r- r- ripping off John.
1: Uh, yeah, that's literally what it's like,
0: um,
1: yes. It I, is
0: safe to assume there's all kinds of stuff that Jesus did that we have no, we have no knowledge of because, yes, Jesus didn't write them down because. Jesus chose not to and we only have four accounts. So there are probably all kinds of other crazy things Jesus did. Alright, back to the topic. Um so yes, Jesus could read and write. He could have done it if he wanted to. I completely agree with you. Look, we have fights one of the main one of the main topics of this podcast is and it happens every every week at church it's been the heart of church splits Um, it's the heart of catholic versus protestant church it is interpreting what essentially four disciples and one and one other disciple well two other disciples one disciple that we know of who didn't even know the guy and one who is his estranged brother and fighting over what they said i posit to you it would have been worse it would be worse if jesus wrote down what he said because we'd be fighting over no jesus said this and the the accounts that we have of what jesus said by the four by the four who wrote it down, they're contradictory. Well, they are, yes, sometimes seemingly contradictory enough. They are (laughs) dichotomies enough that if Jesus had wrote them down, can you imagine the the fights we would have over, no, Jesus said this. No, I think Jesus said this. It It wouldn't have solved anything.
1: I think my issue... And the reason why it probably would have, for me personally, if it was like having Jesus, I sit there and I say like, would you believe it more if Jesus wrote it? I'd still say no. There wouldn't be any additional belief. No more. I think what I would have liked with Jesus writing it is I would have liked the removal of the fluff. Mm. Understanding that there's audiences that each – when you're reading the four books, understanding that there's audiences that they are trying to reach and so they add little bits of fluff to them to make them so. So for example, in Matthew, the, in, the, in, the, in the birth narrative, you have the situation where they flee to Egypt and there's the massacre of all the children.
0: Yeah, because he's trying to. Matthew is an Old Testament guy. He's appealing to the Jews, and he's appealing to the Jews. So he's trying to hearken back to.
1: Uh, he's trying to hearken back to Egypt. Right, and then also understand. Also, in the book of Matthew, is you have the, the Jesus walks on water. Right. And that doesn't happen in the same story. Happens in the diff in two other books. So there's three. There's three stories that all have that same narrative of they go to this place, they get on the boat, blah, 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 blah. blah. But it's only Matthew that has the walk on water scene. And so it's just like there's like these additional pieces of fluff somewhere where it's like I would have liked somebody who was there who's really just trying to get down to the truth and the nitty-gritty of the matter goes and says this. And even if Jesus were to write things down – It wouldn't be the way that it was, like, it would not be a narrative story in the same way that the Gospels are written, where these, like, this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. If you were to get Jesus' writings, it would probably be more like teachings that are written down, almost similar to the book of James, is probably what you'd be looking at. You'd be looking at what would be considered wisdom literature at the time.
0: Correct, correct.
1: And so it's like, you're not going to get the, you're not going to get the accounts of his storyline. Well, oh, you, you would have had, you would have had books and books and books of parables, which would have just frustrated everybody. Right. What you, and that's just what was stylistically at the time. Like you didn't have anybody documenting their own story. That is what scribes would do. That's what people would do. They would say what was going on in your story. They would write down everything that happened, blah, 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 blah. Or they would tell your story then, like an oral tradition would actually be what was happening. Um, And so they would say oral tradition, oral tradition, then eventually somebody would decide to write it down. And so that's what you would see. And so what you would have gotten from Jesus would have been much more along the lines of what you get in the book of James, which is wisdom literature, to where there's not really a time or a place or a setting to what is happening. It's not a story. and so what you're getting is advice. And yes, like you said, it would be a book of parables or it would be these, this, this message that he's trying to get across. So that's what makes it that much more difficult to worry if you would have had a book of Jesus, you would have never – it wouldn't have been better. That's my argument. That's what I would say. But- well, you and I had a discussion about this
0: off, offline last week because i talked about we might talk about this. Right. And you and I, even though you do a good job pointing out the – physical, historic problems of the the four Gospels as we have them in terms of their pure authenticity.
1: Um, he doesn't like that it came after the Book of John. He's bitter. I'm not bitter. I'm just <laughs> I'm, I, I'm messing with you.
0: <laughs> you mentioned earlier... You mentioned something earlier that... I think it is important that we have four people who in, in, not in every instance, but in a lot of instances, have stark, they don't have contradictory views of Jesus, but they have starkly different views of Jesus. Yeah. Matthew is much more spiritual. Luke is much more physical. Yeah. Again, Matthew taught Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount is a spiritual one. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, full stop. Luke says blessed are the poor in not just blessed are the blessed poor. are the poor. And it, and it continues that whole way. Luke right. is focused on it's a shitty world. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who suffer through this shitty world.
1: Right. And I'm in the shitty world with you.
0: And Matthew is focused on much more of, he would, his is much more of a spiritual battle. And, and, and then we have John who you, point, who, yes, who is very dramatic and is, is told almost like a Greek tragedy and
1: i had a college i think it
0: sets the tone for the gospels look jesus if you were a follower of jesus at the time and if you were a follower of jesus 40 years after he had died and 200 years after you would have sworn up and down that he was coming any day and if you are an evangelical uh today uh, and a dispensationalist you're going to say he's going to come any day and you might be true you might be right but my point is i think jesus under if jesus had just written down what he had written down it would have been set in stone and by having four people write it from different points of view and offering different yes they it's frustrating because it then gives an ability for people to say oh they're different it does allow different audiences, particularly at that time, I mean, right out of the gate, you could have Greeks, those who are more Greek, digest the Gospels. You could have, we see this throughout the New Testament. Different letters are written for different uh, culturally mindsetted people. And could, have, could Jesus have written that in a way that had been a uh a belief system for all people of all time yeah he probably could he he certainly he certainly could have he's the son of god but he clearly chose not to and can i just say for in some ways the question is a bad question in one way you could say it's not a bad question because Jesus yes he was the son of god so he could have either written it down himself or ensured that he one of his disciples was a literate writing fool and had was transcribing everything for the 3 years he was 3 years or so he was walking the earth but as we were discussing before in the previous topic of God, Jesus kind of meets us where we're at. Um, We seem to gloss over the fact that it was remarkable that four people, even within 100 or 200 years after his death, wrote down his account. We're not talking about literate societies where people are writing stuff. Writing cost money back then, I would assume, right? It did. So even if you could write, it wasn't something that was like you would just endeavor to do. So it's actually remarkable that we have written accounts of people who are not people of means doing what was being done.
1: Right. No, yeah, 100%. It's crazy. Like I, it's historically speaking, that is a very, and especially when you're looking at historical Jesus and looking at whether or not this guy existed, and with these four texts that kind of explain what's going on and that kind of stuff. Now I mean, like you do have to acknowledge that when you're looking at Matthew and Luke, they did use Mark as a source information, um, and that kind of stuff. So it's not like these four different accounts where four different people then went separately and wrote these different stories without referencing any of the others. That's not true. Um, it is. It is acknowledged by all by the scholarly consensus that. Luke and Matthew use Mark as source information. There's reference to possibly this Q source. Yeah, um, that there's this there's possibly some other source out there. Um, it's possibly in the Vatican libraries. It's very much that it's it's lost. Um, and that it may never ever be found as this cue source that Matthew and Luke use to expand upon the stories that mark uses um, and so those exist now john the re- John is its own thing, John uses neither of those three texts as a uh so that one you can sit there and say, "Yeah, this one was written <laughs> right uh on its own um And so those are kind of interesting. So, uh, yeah, when it comes to understanding the Bible and the scriptures and that kind of stuff, it it, it does take – and and you look at the historical Jesus and you look at these stories that come out. Yeah, you need to acknowledge – I mean, yes. This was – Something that in the ancient world just was not very common. And so for this to happen, it's a huge deal. You even know from Luke that he's writing to this person that wants to know the full story and he wants it all written down. Whoever is writing Luke and Acts is trying to get the full account to the best of their knowledge. Um, And so they're trying to get all that information so that way they can write it down. And this is – you're looking at what is possibly the – Matthew and Luke – the oldest manuscripts are, re- are right around the same exact time and Acts included, which also has the life of Paul right, included in that. And so this person has jotted down the entire history of Paul as well, which is huge when you understand when – the book was written also understanding paul's lifespan in comparisons to jesus and his ministry and how much longer that took and how many years that was dedicated so you're even looking closer to that number of like getting to where we are now closer to jesus's death and resurrection um and the life of paul and all that kind of stuff so it's really awesome um and it's amazing. I just, if anybody was ever curious about what Jesus was ever going to write and that kind of stuff, it's just, it, it wouldn't have been what you think it was going to be. No. And even if it was there, I don't think it would make anybody on this planet believe anymore. It wouldn't have made
0: anybody believe anymore, and it wouldn't have reduced the amount of infighting over what the hell Jesus meant when he said something. No, definitely not. Because the same people who fight over what Jesus said, generally take as gospel that whatever Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John have written down as what Jesus said as that is what is God breathed. And so Jesus said it. And we still fight over what the hell Jesus said in that moment. Um, I completely agree. Yeah, so... It, it would not have solved the problem at all. It would have, at, at best, we would have had the same problems. And I, I still maintain it might have made things even worse because um, we would have had one account instead of maybe two or three, three or one, multiple accounts of what Jesus said. And we can argue, of well, he, he generally said the same thing. And, you know, you can go with the one that he said in Luke, and I'll go with the one he said in Mark or whatever. Right. I think one thing else needs to be said. <clears throat> and yes, it's a cheap thing to say if he's the son of God, he could have done X, Y, and Z. Uh, Jesus lived, I think God lives within the times he lives, lives in. Um, he, you know, yes, he can do everything. So he could have uh, essentially come down in what we call uh, first century AD and created the interwebs so that all human beings on the planet got dispensed the gospel but he doesn't operate that way he still operates within the realm of uh, physical laws of nature and whatnot and and within cultural uh, realms which I think you and I have talked about before maybe not on this podcast but I think he chose this time because we have a roman we have a greco-roman world with a common language yeah that spans a rather large part of the world again discounting the what we do with the eastern part of the world but we have this huge part of the world in north africa western asia europe that all speaks basically the same language not only has the same language but has kind of this common thread of thinking in a lot of ways yes does have even though we're discussing jesus not writing things down we do have writing becoming more and more prevalent and we have this magical thing called roads (laughs) yes and not only do we have roads But we have an empire that has built those roads that has made it clear if you impede a citizen from walking those roads, this empire will not only kill you, but probably kill 10 of your friends. Yes. You are a citizen of Rome. You are free to roam this world that we call the Roman Empire. And I think God picked this time because it was a great time to spread what was going to become the gospel. That said, as we just talked about, it is re- it is still remarkable and not a lot of people are writing. Most people, as they had been for many, 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 many centuries, if not millennia, were telling stories verbally. And I think we underestimate what that means because we're not very good at telling stories and our the modern view of telling stories is the modern the, the game of telephone yeah folks that's not what they did back in those days it was not an endearing thing to play a game of telephone stories were stories were memorized and retold because there was no television there was no there was no reading of books this it wasn't 300 years ago where you could all sit with the family in front of a fire and read from paradise lost <laughs> yeah you told stories and often there were certain individuals who got really good at telling stories not only because they were entertaining but they were really good at mastering that story and retelling that story over and over again and not embellishing on that story the story was told and it is well known within jewish jewish circles that many jewish men had the what we would call the torah memorized right there's an old jewish i would call it myth but it it's a myth to, to tell a tell a emphasize a point where you take a a rabbi or a, a well-versed man of the torah and poke a hole through the scroll he could tell you what part of the torah it came, he could re- rehearse what part of the torah it came that the pin went through we even know jesus is doing this as a teenager yeah he is regaling everyone of the of the torah So Colton goes out of his way to make it clear because it needs to be made clear. Don't build up myths in your head that the Bible was written, that someone's sitting there writing everything down. We've got the stenographer writing down what Jesus said. Things were, our oldest manuscripts are are old. They're well past Jesus's risen date. Yes. Yes. But that does not mean these stories were not told and and retold and retold and retold and retold very accurately if not at the very least faithfully right and to hold the bible and jesus's words to that standard and not hold all of the ancient world at that time to that same standard is disingenuous
1: right here here anything else no i think that's good
0: all right i'm gonna now i'm gonna circle back because there's this funny thing that I'm gonna to try to read it. For those of kid, you kids at home, don't try to read. Don't try to drink two IPAs and then drink. Uh, and then cheese. don't drink two IPAs and, and then, then read drink. Aquinas. He has an interesting thing to say here, but oh my goodness! Good luck. I'll be reading for you. Hence, it is said of wisdom that quote, and he's reading. He's quoting Proverbs that she hath sent her maids to invite the tower. Okay. It is to be observed, however, that as Augustine says, some of the Gentiles thought that Christ wrote certain books treating of the magic art whereby he worked miracles, which art is condemned by the Christian learning. So he's saying that the Gentiles... He's saying that the Gentiles said he he's practicing magic. I think he's, he's pointing out a, a, a paradox. He's saying the Gentiles are saying, yeah, Jesus was doing magic. And Christians are saying, well, magic is to be condemned because we're not supposed to do that. And then he says, I think he's quoting Augustine, quote, and yet, they who claim to have read those books of Christ do none of those things which they marvel at his doing according to those same books. So he's saying that we read those books and none of us do the miracles. Okay. Moreover, it is by a divine judgment that they err so far as to assert that these books were, as it were, entitled as letters to peter and paul for that they found them in several places depicted in company with christ no wonder that the inventors were deceived by the painters for as long as christ lived in mortal flesh with his disciples paul was no disciple of his unquote I think what he's saying is... (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Folks, if I hadn't had two IPAs, I still... I'm not quite sure. Part of it's the style of the writing. This guy was trying
1: to get an A on his paper and get his degree and get out of there.
0: (coughs) Damn you, Aquinas. So he's saying... I think he's saying that people... it's something about us not doing miracles anymore because Paul wasn't a disciple of Jesus, but he, oh, but he still did miracles. This is within the his answering to why didn't Jesus write down his own words. I don't know what that passage has to do with it.
1: I, I don't know either. <laughs> that just seems like somebody who had to meet a word count had to like write something, and he's like, "Paul wasn't a disciple yet." Thank you. Uh, I don't know. Why did you read me this?
0: Well, it sounded like a better idea about forty-five minutes ago, but <laughs> about one beer. Ago. Uh, but I, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to get us off topic of why Jesus didn't write anything down. So.
1: I thought we were good.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really know and he starts it off with hints it is said of wisdom what is and she hath sent her maids to I'm not sure what the wisdom is here you're now
1: you're now like trashing your source you're now sitting there and saying this guy was oh crazy. i'm not
0: only tra- i'm like trashing the source which is literally the entire basis of a mode of like college you know you go to there's certain colleges it's like yeah you go learn all of thomas aquinas yeah And I suppose, yeah, if, if you immerse yourself in Thomas Aquinas and you can understand this, you can literally understand anything.
1: I guess so. You can understand that John is very dramatic. Some of the Gentiles thought that Christ
0: wrote certain books treating of the magic art whereby he worked miracles, which art is condemned by the Christian learning i th- gentiles thought that christ wrote certain books treating of the ma- i think he's saying that jesus used magic to tell people what to write maybe that's uh when was i don't know when was aquinas writing i don't remember uh this is aquinas in what year of year of our lord trying to say that this that's god breathed
1: I have no clue tim this is all right we're this done on me
0: <laughs> so uh just to that all right well i hope that hot topic was somewhat interesting we have more hot topics in the future but we're almost two hours in we're going long again so uh hope you listen to the podcast hope you've enjoyed it once again please always read uh sorry rate and review the podcast uh subscribe as always i'm uh, still trying to get it up on uh spotify spotify i don't know what your issue is but elsewhere we should be up and running uh, we enjoy hope that everyone enjoys the podcast and if you don't
1: go to hell go to hell, go to hell.